is Democracy in Crisis, and I am Baynard Woods, and with me today, uh, <laughs> it has been a while since my, been, since my erstwhile and now returning co-host Mark Steiner uh, has been back in the studio with us, so welcome back, Mark. It's good to be here. This is Mark Steiner from the Center for Emerging Media and the Mark Steiner Show, now on podcast rather than the the uh, land, land, whatever you call that thing, radio. And so you should check it out. Uh, all of if you're listening to Democracy in Crisis, go check out the Mark Steiner show as well. I mean, when we started this way back at the the late January, right after the inauguration, one of the first things that I wanted to do was have us talk some about your radical past. Mine? I don't have any. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and specifically about some of the the organizing that you were doing with. Um, Around with white people because Trump struck me then and strikes as as a particularly white problem that we're the ones who are really fucked up right now in some really real ways. And so we've talked about doing this for a while. But so now today we're finally going to get to talk a little bit about that um, and go back and talk about the young patriots. So Right. And, and, and so we when I was kind of getting back into finding some brothers from the Young Patriots and um, went to um, my friends at the Kairos Institute and they um, hooked, hooked me up with the people from SNCC from back in the day, Bob Zellner and those guys from SNCC who was the original, one of the white leaders of SNCC, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee for the Civil Rights Movement, who was also a Southern boy. He grew up in Alabama. His father had been a Klansman. And then Bob and I hooked up and then then all of a sudden we were talking and the, the sister at uh, Cairo said to me, and we're talking to this, this fellow named Hyde Thurman. I went, you're talking to who? Hyde, you mean Hyde Thurman? Well, Hyde Thurman. I said, it's got to be the same guy. I said, Young Patriots? He said, yeah. I said, hook us up because I had not seen a high in 50 fucking years. So... <laughs> Don't have some of that ever, dude. <laughs> and this is Hyde Thurman. Hi. <laughs> Welcome, Hyde. <laughs> and Hyde was one of the leaders of the Young Patriots out of Chicago, and we were in the Poor People's Campaign in Resurrection City together, but met before that. So that's... that's uh, so it's our connection. And now the Young Patriots are are getting back together, are back together, um, and are going to be in Shelby, Tennessee, and Murfreesboro, Tennessee this weekend, um, marching against some white supremacists that are going to be there. And we can we can work our way around to that maybe. Yeah. Um, Why don't we just start? Maybe Hi can just kind of give us the history. Hi, I just talk about your history and the history of the Young Patriots and where that began. Maybe people don't know what we're talking about. People have heard about the Black Panthers. And some people have heard about some other organizations, but never, a lot of folks don't even know about the Young Patriots. Okay. Well, the Young Patriots basically was, you know, we were organized uh, back in the 60s to uh, to offer assistance to uh, over 40,000 southern people, hillbillies, that had migrated into Chicago. Uh, because at that time we were, you know, fighting police brutality. It was a very poor uh, slum area. Uh, people were fighting the the, the uh, you know health problems. There was a lot of black lung there. You know, Brown Young from textiles had the highest infant mortality rate. You know, of any really of any place in the country. And then it had um, a lot of lead poisoning. Uh, but there was just a lot of oppression 
uh, coming from the uh, Richard J. Daly machine. Who was the mayor of Chicago back then? Right. Yeah, the mayor of Chicago, King Richard the First, and uh, <laughs> he was he was brutal. He hated he hated poor people. He he uh, and he himself came up through a gang called the Hamburgs. The, you know, they called an athletic club. There's an Irish community called Bridgeford. And so he worked his way up into the mayor of Chicago. And then when he became the mayor of Chicago, he used the Chicago Police Department as his own personal gang. And uh, so I got there in 1967. I was 17 years old. I came there from a small town in Tennessee uh, to get away some from some you know, very oppressive uh, police uh, brutality there as well as, and a lot of people don't understand that there's a lot of police brutality in small towns also. Uh, because if you're poor, no matter what crime is committed, they come to you first. So, uh, and if it's especially a crime that's been done by some of the other well-off people, um, they will try to Depended on the poor people, in which they did. Right. And so that's one of the reasons that I left there. The other reason was because of poverty, uh, extreme poverty. I uh, started working in the fields when I was three years old with my siblings. My mother came from a, a one-parent family. But anyway, time came, I could go to Chicago. And when I went to Chicago, I got hooked up with... Uh, Several guys that were involved in an organization called JOIN, which was Jobs or Income Now, which is a part of the SDS program, uh, Students for a Democratic Society. And these guys were kind of hanging around JOIN at that point, but even before that, you know, some of the history of, of the Young Patriots that I'll get into is uh, it starts back as far as 1957. Uh, there was a gang called the Peacemakers, and they, uh, you know, they were doing normal things gang gangbanging, but a lot of their members were being killed too. So, as time went on in the into the 60s, uh, around 65, 64, 65, uh, some of them got hooked up with Join, and uh, and Join had come into the community wanting to help people with jobs. It's called Jobs Are Income Now, but soon found out that there were many other problems, you know, within the community, and one of them was certainly police brutality. And the members of the the peacemakers were getting murdered. They are getting murdered on the street just like they are in Chicago today. And so um, they started working with, with some of these street guys around, you know, uh, their political ideology and trying to get them to do some organizing. And then also about that time, other organizers started coming into the community. And one of them was Peggy Terry, who uh, eventually ended up running for uh, vice president with Eldridge Cleaver. But um, these guys were hanging around there. And one of the first acts that they did was to uh, do a march on the police station. You know, I was thinking as you, as you were talking, Hyde, that, uh, I mean, you mentioned a bunch of names, like so. I was talking about like in 1967, right? Early 68, and 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 Peggy Terry, who I always thought of as, uh, I don't know, she was a real life Majo, not a pretend one, and um, mm-hmm. she was uh, 
from Alabama herself, and her son, Doug Youngblood, uh, was a hillbilly poet. He had done time in the Alabama mm-hmm. State Prison for manslaughter, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and was one of the founders of the Young Patriots. And they put on a newspaper called The Firing Line as well, which is an incredible newspaper. So I have a bunch right. of copies of that in my chat oh, at I home. Oh, I see that. Uh, so Peggy. She, to me, was like a Mother Jones, you know, everybody, all all the right. female revolutionaries in the one, you know, combined she, in the one. Right, I was thinking like she was like Fannie Lou Hamer, but she was a, yeah. she was a hillbilly Fannie Lou Hamer. Yeah, wow. yeah. Right? Wow. Um, you know, she was raised. Uh, she was raised in a Klan environment, and actually supported the Klan. When and, she was younger, and her son was in the Klan. Doug was in the Klan for a minute, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, how did you guys go from coming from this this environment where people are raised in Klan environments to ultimately realizing that, like, which is jumping ahead a little bit, but realizing that as you're organizing in your own community, and the Panthers are organizing in their community that. That y'all had, I mean, it seems like one of the whole purposes of the the American state has been to make sure that that realization doesn't happen. That poor white people and poor black people don't realize that they have common interests. How did you guys break through that? How did y'all figure that out? Well, it was, it, it was easy for some and hard for others, I guess. You know, to uh, you know get rid of racism or deal with racism because a lot of you know a lot of people were very racist, but the common the common bond we had to find a commonality, and that happened to be with poverty and and freedom uh, at the time. And uh, you know, we had guidelines to look at. We could look at the civil rights movement and what was going on with Martin Luther King and more. You know, more white people joining into that. Uh, we could look at um, you know a lot of the other movements that were going on, but. The most important thing was we were all in there together. We were all living in there together in poverty. And we were all experiencing the same uh, oppression uh, as, you know, brutality. So that was a common commonality with us. Right. Uh, because, you know, some of us began to, and through, you know, through the ideology, I think, of SES and, and others, we began to look at movements and, and begin to realize that, uh, you know, we're all the same. So we became, you know, we became political. And we became not as political as some of the organizations, certainly as the Black Panthers, but we learned a lot through the Peggy Terry Eldridge Cleaver campaign that, uh, you know, when they ran for president against George Wallace. And that pretty well dispelled any kind of notion in the city of Chicago that people could not, work across racial lines and racial boundaries. And that was part of the problem that, you know, brought in Mayor Daly's police force and, and the COINTELPRO on us. But what we did as just young guys, you know, I was 17. I think the oldest was like 21 or 22. And we were kids that never really had a childhood, so we had to grow up fast, but we were figuring out that we hadn't a place to go. So we had to we had to fight for where we were, um, and we had to convince other people to do that too. You know, other, other white people. Um, and one of the one of the things that we did was, you know, they had a march on the police station, which brought a lot of attention to to some of the young guys, uh, which brought in more recruits, you might say. And from that, uh, we began to learn how to get involved in other, you know, other parts of the community supporting other groups, 
And and then at one point, we just became the spokesman for the community. Although we were young, people trusted us. And that got the attention, I think, of, you know, of, of the Black Panthers at that point um, and of the Young Lords and, and other organizations that we'd been working with. Uh, like I say, we were still dealing with a lot of, a lot of racism um, and uh, there was a lot of Klan activity and, you know, uh, American Nazi Party and John Birch Society and everybody else within the community that we were in. And these, we had a lot, and plus fighting the police and the politicians. So there was a lot of, right. uh, there was a lot of work to be done, but that was something that got noticed that there was actually a group of people that were actually doing that. And when you say a group of people, like how many of y'all were there at that point? Like how many people were, were actively involved in, in organizing? There were probably 10 people. Uh, but it was, but it was ten people. It's a peripheral group that was much larger than that. Yeah, and and the in the community there were other organizations that were right for it because, you know, uptown had always been a hotbed for dissension and organizing because of police brutality. And one of the biggest uh, items of contention was urban renewal that was coming into the community too. You know, destroy homes. What they used to call gentrification. What we call gentrification now, they called it renewal back yes. then, right? Exactly. And, uh, you know, they had arson for hire. Um, it's been documented that over 35 people lost their lives in these buildings because the landlords were burning their buildings with people in it. Uh, in, in a particular area where they wanted to put a college, which was also the area that housed most of the southern people. And... Uh, we were actually going out and talking to people. One of the important items that was a big item of contention was we wore a Confederate flag. And uh, that certainly got the attention of a lot of people. But we used that flag. We would go into bars and other meetings, and if we had the flag, it would also have a free Huey button on it or, you know, some other type of button. But uh, we would talk to people about what it actually meant, because within this particular community, you know, it was it was there, but never seen. People just didn't pay attention to it because it, it was always there. So we talked to people about the meaning of that flag, you know, and how it was a, um, a symbol, you know, for the slaveocracy, and that it was a symbol... Of the, uh, of the plantation owners when, you know, people's lives were nothing more than a piece of property to be sold or to be killed or whatever. And uh, so we would talk to people about that. But we'd, we would also talk to them about their needs and their problems. And later on, you know, with the Rainbow Coalition, when we got our health clinic and uh, food breakfast for children program, uh, we got them services, and we were able to organize people, and that's really what got the attention of, of Chicago uh, power structure again. Uh, and that's when Bailey brought in uh, uh, Jared Hoover. That's uh, when we joined the Rainbow Coalition. It, it, you know, it was a, it was a. I mean, I think. High and I and Youngblood and those guys, uh, Preacher Man, 
I met him back in late 67 at an SDS convention. And um, it was, uh, and I just gravitated to the Young Patriots immediately just because of who I am. <laughs> you know what he did? You know what he did? He grabbed his wallet as he went by. <laughs> <laughs> At least he didn't grab your wallet. <laughs> <laughs> and held, held his girlfriend close. <laughs> I did that. That's right. I didn't trust you all at all. That's not what you really were about. So, <laughs> yeah, we were, we were pretty shady. <laughs> and, and, yeah. And it was, the, the, it was interesting. A couple things, you know, we, Doug and I, Youngblood, started working together because of the Poor People's Campaign. After I got back from Cuba, I started working with the Poor People's Campaign organizing, and Doug was brought into it because he was the leader of the Young Patriots. Um, and, I, yeah, I mean, he was like the, the, one of the seminal figures. Um, he's passed away, unfortunately. Uh, but for me, I learned so much from him. It was because um, I came up in a different world. I grew up here in Baltimore, and so... My home was the black street corner as a kid, right? So I was, uh, um, and so I had, and then being a civil rights worker, I had already been, you know, beaten by a mob and beaten by police. Um, so my attitude towards poor white working people from the South was they were my enemy. Especially wearing rebel flags. <laughs> right, because they were like, you know, these, these motherfuckers were going to come and get me next, right? So, uh, <laughs> but... <laughs> um, and and I guess the street corner thing is what attracted me first to when I met people at the convention. But but what what I began to realize, what I learned from Doug was that this was the heart of the movement. That this is that when you see meet people who had been in the Klan and been close to the Klan and been in that have been Southern working guys, and now they were in alliance with the Black Panthers and the Young Lords. That there was this opening, and and uh, it just changed my entire way of thinking. Doug and I took a short trip, and we ended up in Washington D.C. as we were organizing stuff for the Poor People's Campaign, and we stopped at a whole bunch of hillbilly bars here and there, and that's also what began to change me, right? Um, and um, I realized that the the brothers in the corner from from uptown were no different than the brothers in the corner that I hung out with in Baltimore, and. Um, and so, and then we got to Resurrection City for Poor People's Campaign, which was the encampment in '68, King's last big thing before he, after he was assassinated, because it took off after he was killed. He tried to organize a, a multiracial coalition of the poor. I don't know if you remember this high, but there was a, a Confederate flag was up in the in the encampment that came out of Uptown. Yeah, and I do remember that. Remember that, and nobody gave yeah. a shit. Not, not, there was not, not one black person, not anybody said anything about take down that flag, it's a racist flag. No, because people, because it was, it was, it was beyond these symbols, and we all came there to fight for something, right? And I think that, you know, hi, I was thinking about this that, say, my organizing was mostly in Baltimore, not, not in Chicago. I mean, I hung out, but that wasn't where I was. I, so, I, so we were organizing in, what South Baltimore, which you all call in Baltimore now Federal Hill. Federal Hill is the park. No. They just gentrified and called the whole place Federal Hill. It was South Baltimore. And we organized yeah. the first interracial tenants union in the history of the city between yeah. poor white working class and poor black working class folks uh, across Charles Street, which is in South Baltimore, 
between Sharpleton Hall and South Baltimore, and we fought the landlords together and fought police mm-hmm. brutality together and mm-hmm. opened the Greenmount Free Medical Clinic for the Panthers and um, existed for a long time. And, and, the, and, the, and I, I just, you can speak to this, too. I wish, wish you would. I mean, it's like the th- difference is they, there weren't lectures. You, you didn't go to class and lecture about racism. It was the organizing on the ground between poor whites and poor black folks fighting in a common struggle that yeah. began to eat away at the racism and people mm-hmm. struggling with their racism that way, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it, was, it was a very different phenomenon than what we face now. I mean, we, we, how would you describe that, Hi? Well, you know, uh, as an example, um, there was a, there were some black women involved and in, in joined, both of them named Dovey. One of them's last name is Thurman, the other one was uh, Coleman. <laughs> and uh, they worked with uh, Peggy Terry and and uh, some of the other women uh, and, and, and organized the welfare recipients demand action, for instance. Uh, and they would go and have sit-ins at, sit-in at these uh, uh, welfare offices because people were treated like animals and are treated like shit, you know. And uh, for some, uh, many of these women from the South that, that eventually became a part of this, you know, and saw what they were doing, you know, were learning from, you know, the black community. And a lot of that is what changed, you know, that's what changed a lot of, a lot of uh, people when they began to exchange type mm-hmm. of culture because they had a commonality, and that was all the other problems that were going on in the black community were also going on in the white community. Right. And once once they realized that, you know, and once we realized that that's exactly what is keeping us down and what's keeping them down, that's when you become, you know, that's when you, the camaraderie comes about. You can have a drink with a person, Without really seeing the person as, you know, as, as as being racist, for instance. Although there is a difference, and there always will be a difference, but racism is something that, you know, needs to be kicked out and destroyed. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, I think that's a part of it because you can't you can't listen. You know, like you said, you can't get that from a classroom. You can't get that by studying it. You can only get it by, you know, standing shoulder to shoulder with those people that, even if they you consider them as your enemy at one time, you know. So let's let's jump ahead a little bit, and um, so you guys are now becoming active again, um, and I've been really interested in the in Redneck Revolt and the John Brown Gun Club and some of these other. Um, more newly formed groups. What yes. what happened that that you sort of went underground and then like how what made you what made the Young Patriots come back together uh, recently? Well, the reason uh, we went underground and some still are uh, was because of the oppression and the uh, brutality, the murders, the threats. We had uh, we had a couple of our members murdered even in the South. Uh, well, we had uh, we had one one uh, John Howard who was uh, one of our people went down to Kentucky or 
you know, Georgia, I think it was Georgia, and uh, you know, was was wanting to organize, and you know, somebody saw him and said, you know, there's that there's that guy from Chicago, that nigger lover up there, and and so the next day he was found dead. It was throat cut, and uh, we had another one that was uh, from there, from working with us, went down to West Virginia. Uh, and he was political. He was talking down there, and they did the same. You know, they said the same thing about him. Uh, you know, they had him execution style. They fired him right in the back of the head. But you know, they were also uh, catching us on the street, um, beating us up. All he would ride around with the cops and. I try to be a cop, and he called me out on the street one day, and you know, and, and pretty well, beat, they beat me up pretty well. And then um, he said he's going get getting rid of all these fucking gangs and the young patriots. And then he had taken a picture of uh, a poster that we'd put up on the young patriot door of Mayor Daly, uh, called. We accused him of you know instigating riots. And so he took a picture of that and sent it to Daly, you know. So they were they were in communication, you know. Uh, everybody was in communication. The other part was, you know, the the COINTELPRO, the FBI. They uh, they were relentless too. Um, they were constantly um, they were constantly arresting people, um, harassing people. There are memos now that that have, that came out. Um, that states that uh, the uh, Black Panthers and SDS and and those groups that were affiliated were a threat to national security, and they said pay close attention to the young patriots and the young lords. Uh, and so we were harassed all the time. At one point, you know, cops cops came to my door. They were always after us. You know, early. You know, and uh, I said, who's there? And they just put the key in and opened the door. You know, I mean, they knew who we were. And then especially after the, the documentary American Revolution came out. American Revolution 2 that came out in 68, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that really pissed Daly off because he had tried to get it banned from Chicago. Right. And, and uh, Hugh Hefner said he'd do it. And so we that complicated motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we had to open it at his you know, but he, he didn't like Daly. He hated Daly, so that's the reason he did it. But that was the only theater in the city that would allow us to do it, would open it. Uh so that was that was a problem. And uh we started getting you know, uh, even after Joint Joint Office had gotten uh raided, there were a couple of people arrested, but right after that, another member of our group was murdered. Uh, so they didn't care. They would uh, they would just stop you and beat you for any reason at all. So that's the reason we went underground. I I had gotten married and had a kid, and I said I can't I can't really put my family through this anymore. You know, so I left. Some other people moved, went out to California, but there were a group of other people that uh, and organizations that took took over our clinic 
and that was the it's called the Intercommunal Survival Committee, and that was run by uh, Slim Holman. Right. Uh, and um, right. They, what what they did was they allowed Black Panthers to be their direction. In other words, they became Black Panthers, um, distributing their paper, running the clinic. You know, until they closed the know, clinic, they, they forced it down. They, well, the city did. Yeah, yeah after a saying, long, right. long, long battle with the city, they passed so many ordinances that right. they open anymore. Even though we had taken over um, a board of health clinic that they put in because we had embarrassed them, and so they put in a, a clinic, and it didn't really serve anybody. The hours were bad. It was in the wealthier part of the neighborhood, and they were <laughs> very disrespectful to the you know poor people coming in there. So uh, we took over that clinic, and there were 41 people arrested in that, and that was, that was also doctors and nurses, wow. you know, and medical personnel that went with us to do it. Um, you know, and we we had to take over the McCormick Theological Seminary with the, with the young lords um, because they were supporting urban renewal, and we literally went in there and kicked everybody out and locked the doors for a week. And, you know, we were doing those kinds of things as well as with the Panthers. Um, you know, on the Panthers, we went out to the, um, what is that, United Front Against Fascism Conference out in Oakland. Yeah, right. I remember that. And, and we actually uh, did security for the Panthers. Uh, and there's a iconic picture there. Where, you know, uh, I think it's Bobby McGinnis is standing there with a with the big rebel flag on the back of his jacket next to a right next to a black panther with a jacket doing security you know <laughs> yeah i remember that i remember that picture yeah <laughs> you got that picture uh, still? He, uh yeah it's in actually it's in uh james tracy's book called hillbilly nationalist oh yeah, yeah okay uh, all right you may read that book or or read uh jacoby williams book from the bullets to the ballot those are very good books. There's so, a new documentary being made now too called The Original Rainbow Coalition. So what what then propelled y'all now? What is it about this moment that made that made the young patriots decide, hey, let's get we got to do this again? Well, it was actually me. Uh, I uh, <laughs> yeah. actually I did that. <laughs> yeah, it was I was the only one that really came back, I think. And and, and uh I had been, you know, roaming around job after job and, you know, and got my family raised and through divorce and all that stuff. And and then I picked up a book called Hillbilly Nationalist. I'm going, whoa, wait a minute, this is about us. And I've never seen this before. Okay. And uh, so I came back and it started contacting some people and said, you know, maybe we could do something. And, you know, and especially since... Uh, you know, uh, a lot had changed. You know, uh, uh, Obama was president then, and and uh, you know, more people were were getting organized, and and so I had been looking around and saw politically, you know, that um, and you know, economically, not a lot had changed for the poor people, and so um, I came back and and started contacting some people, and that's basically how it happened. Uh, and now it's been 
you know, a few years later. We do have some chapters. Um, and uh, we, I feel that right now is the right time, you know, for the young patriots. And our, our, I mean, so there's so much. I was in Charlottesville where it was, you know, incredibly violent and, and intense and tons of, of Confederate flags on exactly the opposite side. And, I mean, I've been interested in the way that, like, the Redneck Revolt talks about counter-organizing and they go to gun shows to organize and they go to NASCAR races to organize. And that reminded uh-huh. me of what you were talking about with going in with but are y'all are y'all sporting that now, or what? Are, what what's your feeling this many years later? How how are y'all different in in those ways, and how is it the same? Well, we're really different. Uh, we share the same philosophy. They they had uh, stated that they modeled themselves, and and that they were influenced by what the young patriots had done. Um, you know, in terms of working in white communities, and. Uh, just that the gun, you know, the gun part is, you know, no one has a right to take our guns from us, and, you know, we have a right to be, we have a right to be armed. You know, we can we can arm ourselves. And uh, and so we were similar in a lot of ways. Now, some of them have all also started Young Patriot chapters, you know, in which we're going to have the survival programs that we that we had before, you know, and I've been, I went up to Phoenix and, uh, the John Brown gun club and I got trained in the latest weaponry, you know, uh, I am a gun. I don't intend to let it go. You know, uh, I'm not a violent person, but, uh, absolutely. And so y'all are going this weekend to, to speaking of that, y'all are going this weekend where the clan and people are coming to, Murfreesboro and Shelby, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, is that is that are there going to be a number of the Young Patriots chapters sort of convening? I, I've seen some of the Facebook groups and stuff coming yeah. there and and to confront the the fascists. Yes, they're going to be Patriots. Uh, we're joining up with uh, with the Redneck Revolt, uh, and we're joining up with uh, a number of organizations called Surge, uh, showing up for racial justice. Right. And, uh, you know, other, other left groups. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, we expect to have a good, a really good uh, turnout there, you know, this, this weekend. Um, now, I hope it doesn't turn out to be Charlottesville, but if it does, you know, it is what it is. But we can no longer let, you know, Trump, you know, spew the hatred and divide the country the way he's doing it. You know, uh, so that's the reason we're there, you know, to stop fascism. Right. And it is fascism, you know, so, the you know, Trump and others would love to see a fascist state. And that's what we're fighting against. And that's something we fought against 50 years ago when people before us, you know, so we are in support, you know, of the Redneck Revolt. I, I am a member. You know, so uh, so there's a lot of overlap with the the different group with with Young Patriots and Redneck Revolt and John Brown Gun Club and all of that. Yeah, and yes, would you, would y'all wear the stars and bars too when you're going to Tennessee? Is that still a thing y'all are doing, or is that something from the past? That's from the past. We feel that that was that served its purpose, and we have no need to wear that anymore. But tells you know the people who are identifying with it now, 
you know, are the, right. the white supremacists. You know, and uh, everywhere we go, they're they're wearing it. it, it that is, you know, it just shows. A, you know, you know what that shows how it made me think of as you were as he asked that question, <clears throat> how symbols change, right? Mm-hmm. I mean. No, yes. very few people flew the Confederate flag in the '60s. You didn't see it very many places. Even the, you saw it somewhere in the South sometimes, but it wasn't like omnipresent like it is now, ubiquitous everywhere, right? You uh, see it with motorcycle gangs, uh, right? People that wanted, wanted to be rebels. You know, that, that was the thing. thing. You wanted to be a rebel. That was what it yeah. was being a rebel. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Although exactly. that is when they put it in the South Carolina State House was was uh, during civil rights, so they were. They were pushing it, and the no, they were. Places, right, right, right. Yeah. So it began to change, you know. But, but, yeah. I, but I think that the 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 question is how can you, can we that we have we should explore in the coming weeks together is can we can we build a multiracial coalition? I mean, the Poor People's Campaign is trying to create some stuff around Barbara, North Carolina, and the folks in Chicago, and and High is part of that, and other people. I am. Can you build? Can you build a new interracial coalition of the poor? To take on the system and break through the racism that helped elect Trump, I mean that that's that that's a big piece of the mm-hmm. the struggle at the moment is how, how do you do that and and can we do that? I mean it's different than it was in sixty seven, okay. sixty eight, sixty nine yeah. when we were doing it. You know it's a different world, so well, it's, a, it's a huge question. Yeah, one of the one of the problems that I see that's going on today is uh, you know people will people are. It's almost like they're afraid to go talk to other people, you know, and, and you can't be afraid to do that. Right. you got to have enough courage to do that. And after you talk to them, you can't let them get away. You know, you got to try those people we can stay in touch with. you got to stay in touch with. It's not a one-day process. It's not like you're going to walk them and actually turn somebody. Because that, that hardly ever happens. But there are, you know, even with like redneck revolt, some of the things that they've done, they have. Oh, they have a couple of a couple, three people in there that was part of their right wing militia, you know. And but it wasn't really what they wanted to do, you see. And and so they were able to work on them. And that's what we got to look at. You know, if you got somebody who's who, you know, that you can get. 30 percent less work on the rest 70 percent you know let's get them you know what i mean uh yeah. just don't let up we can't let up because that's the part of the problem a lot of people want to write about it they want to talk about it you know they want to watch the movies about it they want to learn about the history but actually going out there and doing it is a whole different story you know so those are the people we have to encourage to get out there and do something you know and uh, it's like with the survival programs that I talk about with the young patriots. If you don't know where to start, you know, how many people are in your building, how many people are on your block, then go do a food drive. You know, let them know there's poor people around. You know, at least you're getting to them. Right. And some people are going to respect you for that. You know, you go out the door. And then Bobby Lee told me this. Too. You go out the door, you look to the front of you, you left, right, and behind you. If you're not sure where to organize, just pick a direction. You know? <laughs> that's where you go. Just that's go. Right. You know? <laughs> so that's what we got to do. I think uh, 
And I don't think we can show I hate toward them that they show toward us, you know, because that's that's exactly what they're expecting, you know. And uh, I go through that a lot of people, Facebook, out in the community, you know. But, hey, I guess some people sit down and have a beer with me now, you know, and that's the way it works. It's like the guys we go into a bar with a, you know, Confederate flag. I guess, in other words, what I'm trying to say is some of the people on the left really need to grow balls, you know? <laughs> Gotta quit talking and doing this verbal masturbation all the time and go out there and do something, you know? Amen to that. Um, you know, but that's, Boy, I tell you something, that's I, a part I, of... <laughs> I was going to say, you have... You have <laughs> it may be 50 years ago, brother, but you haven't missed a beat. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's in my DNA somehow. I can't, I can't. But, you know, um, the most beautiful thing about it, I raised a, I raised a daughter that's just like me. <laughs> well, hi, it's been great but, to have you on today. We really appreciate it. And uh, for Democracy in Crisis, check us out in your local weekly all around. Uh, this is Baynard Woods. This is Mark Steiner for the Center for Emerging Media and the Mark Steiner Show, and we'll be linking that stuff on our site, org, and sending it over to uh, the Young Patriots to put up on their site as well. And it'll be on the Real News Network as well. So much love and grim solidarity, y'all. Peace and love.